Every day of our lives is strange. So many things happen that we cannot explain. Good, bad, or neutral, there are things that go on that we, we don't have answers for. In fact, when we don't have the answers, we go to people we think have answers. We go to professors and psychologists, and if it's a spiritual type of issue, we go to the pastor, hoping that he has the answers. Because the pastor is so holy, he is closer to heaven than everybody else. And yet, life is strange on so many levels. And so what I did is, again, because I have so many opportunities to speak to you, I went into the scriptures and tried to find some verses that are difficult to understand. Not because they are uh, intellectually difficult to understand, but because what is in the text just doesn't make sense. Let me demonstrate it to you by reading the passage for this morning. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. I think I'm going to be in the Old Testament a lot this month. Somebody asked, why, why, why do you guys... Uh, preach from different areas of the Bible, because I can't make you understand the entire Bible in one sitting, but every sermon is an opportunity for you to understand a little bit more. And so with each sermon, I'm trying to avoid verses I've been to before, hoping that you will find the story one day by yourself and you'll understand a bit better. This is what it's about. The objective of the sermon is to get you closer to God through understanding his word and seeing Jesus in every text. That's the objective. All the tap dancing that we do and the sermon titles and the strange themes, it's all in an effort to get you to be interested in knowing the Word of God. 2 Kings chapter 4. 2 Kings chapter 4. I'm reading verse number 38. Elisha returned to Gilgal and there was a famine in that region. While the company of the prophets was meeting with him, he said to his servant, put on the large pot and cook stew for these prophets. One of them went out into the fields to gather herbs and found a wild vine and picked as many of its gourds as his garment could hold. When he returned, he cut them up into the pot of stew, though no one knew what they were. Verse number 40. The stew was poured out for the men, but as they began to eat, they cried out, Man of God, there is death in the pot. And they could not eat it. Elisha said, Get some flour. He put it into the pot and said, Serve it to the people to eat. And there was nothing harmful in the pot. Does that even remotely sound like a story that should be in the Bible? We don't even know what the lesson is. We don't even know what's happened. It's just, it just feels like uh, the writer wanted to zhuzh the story up a little bit and he added that in. But if it's in the Bible, it means that it must be true. And if it's in the Word, it needs to be heard. So my burden was to think what lessons can come from this very strange story that can apply to the people of God today. And so is born the message. The title of the message is Death in the pot. Death in the pot. Somebody messaged me last night and asked me, what does that mean? Now you know. The food was bad. The food was bad. I want to begin by talking about Elisha and his compadre, Elijah. Elijah was the first to come onto the scene. Called by God, like many prophets, 
to give a message to the people on behalf of God. The prophet's burden was to take a message, whether it was positive or negative or neutral, whatever it was, his burden or her burden was to take this word and give it to the people. One of the most difficult times in the Old Testament is when a prophet had to explain why bad things were happening. The Bible says in the passage, there's a famine. That famine is not caused by climate change. That famine is caused by the wickedness of the people. And so God has shut the heavens. God did it in the time of Elijah. And now he's doing it again in Elisha's time as prophet on the scene. And so as the story begins, it, it paints a picture like a, like a script for a movie or an intriguing story. It tells you what's happening around and then it zooms in to one particular location. There is a famine in the land. Now all Bible students know that whenever there's a famine of food, it usually comes with a famine of the word. Because God was very particular about how he related with his people. When they were faithful, the heavens opened and rain brought crops and food and water and life was popping, it was booming. But when they were unfaithful, God would shut the heavens for a season until they came back. Does that sound cruel? No, it is not. And so there's a famine. Statement. There are so many voices speaking on behalf of God, and yet there is still a hunger for the word. Even in countries which are not considered Christian countries, there are voices that are spreading the gospel. In our story, we are told that Elisha is with a company with student prophets. He has a group of prophets with him who are learning how to share the word and how to be intent in how they listen to what God says. But in spite of the school of the prophets, it seems that people still didn't know who God was. If they knew who God was, they were not interested in knowing him. Does that sound anything different from the times we live in? Where people have so much access to the Bible, and yet for some strange reason, it seems as if there's not enough word out there. Today, you can access the Word of God from your phone, from your tablet, from your screen, from wherever. You can be in a bus, you can be anywhere, and you can access the gospel. Even in those, those regions of the world where the gospel is not permitted, people still have access to it. In Iraq, in Afghanistan, people have Bibles. In Iran, people have Bibles. In the places where you think the word of God is not there, it's there. In China, we saw a young man reading his Bible in the subway. Something that's not allowed, he was doing it. But there's not enough people who are responding to it. What is the problem? In answering this question, I want to read a statement to you that I hope will set you up for what comes next. John Piper says in his book, A Hunger for God, if you don't feel strong, desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it's not because you've drunk deeply and are satisfied. In other words, he's saying, if you feel like you don't need God, like you don't need a revelation or a relationship or the presence of God, it's not because you've received too much of him. That's never the problem. When people want to be away from God, it's not because they've received enough of him. What's the problem? 
It is because you have nibbled. Does anybody know what nibbling is? See, when, you, when you're eating those little things, and you're, that's nibbling, right? Just a little bit. Just a little bit. So the writer is saying, here's the problem. You've been nibbling at what the world is giving you that your belly is full. So when it comes to the greatness of God, there's no more room for him. All that swiping up and down, left and right, has left you with nothing for God. So here's the problem. We don't mind the goodness of God. It's the greatness of God that we have a problem with. Right now, the majority of you sitting there gawking at, this, at the front stage, you are here because you want a little bit of God's goodness, but most of you are not interested in his greatness. What does that mean? Everybody likes to say God is good, but very, people say, very few people say God is great. Because when you say God is great, it means you must listen to what he says and you must follow it. So we love his goodness, but we don't like his greatness. And when you get addicted to the goodness of God, God switches it off and there becomes a famine in the land. So the author is saying that the problem why there's uh, 147 Adventist churches in Jakarta and a plethora of other denominations, people are still hungry for the gospel. Because they are so filled up with what the world gives them, they don't have room for the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. The Bible says in verse 38, one day as the group of prophets were seated before him, they were seated before him, to sit before him simply means he was teaching and they were listening. And being a good preacher, he saw that these brothers were hungry. And so brother Clint, he stopped the class. He called his servant and said to him, please make some stew for these brothers. Why stew? Because there's a famine and the only thing they can afford is soup. That was it. So the preacher stopped the lesson and said to his servant, probably Gehazi, and said to him, make some stew so these students can eat. Temptation comes in the areas where you are hungry. Temptation comes in the areas where you are hungry. Think about it. When you're broke, the temptation to want to steal is greater. If you feel lonely and unloved, the temptation to just fall for anything is higher. If you feel you don't get enough attention, you will do anything to get attention, like swim with sharks or jump out of a plane without a parachute, because you're desperate for attention. In the area where you're hungry, you tend to do the most desperate things. If you agree, let me hear you say amen. You testified, you admitted that that's what you do. Temptation comes in the places where we feel that's where we need something. And so you will do anything to get it. And so it's a famine. It's a famine. And when people are hungry for food, they tend to eat anything that will nourish them. Trust me, if there's a famine in the land, there's nobody looking at the container for the calorie and fat and, and, and all carb thingies. You're just eating whatever comes in front of you. Somebody said, what would you do if you're on an island and all you had was vodka and pork? Would you eat and drink it? I said, yes, I would. And I'd bless it in Jesus' name. Please don't leave with that today and say that was a sermon. Pastor eats pork and drinks vodka. FYI, that's a bad combination. One of them went out into the field. Now, now, pause. I, I like to analyze a text. I don't have much time to do it during the week, but I do it in front of you. So give me an opportunity to do it right now. 
Elisha instructed his servant, right? He spoke to how many people? How many people did Elisha speak to? I'm helping you right there. Satu. One. He spoke to one man. He spoke to one man to make the stew. But the Bible says one of them, one of them, it's no longer the servant, it's someone else. There's an expression that says too many chefs spoil the broth or the food. When too many people cook at the same time, it never works out well. That's why whenever during a leap year I decide to cook in the house, I chase my wife out of the kitchen. Because when I'm cooking, I don't want her telling me what to add into the food. Because too many cooks do what? Spoil the broth. But in the story we're told that somebody went out into the fields looking for herbs. Because obviously whatever was in the pot was not enough. And so he went out into the field and the Bible says he found a wild vine. And on the wild vine were gourds. What is a gourd? Uh, commentators are very clear about what a gourd is. A gourd is any melon, cucumber-shaped vegetable or wild whatever. So imagine he's walking in the bush and he sees these wild gourds because there's no wheat, there's no maize, there's no food. So they'll eat anything. And so he sees these wild melon, uh, cucumber-looking things and he's like, oh, this is good. He takes it and he doesn't ask the chef. Like my wife, he cuts it up and he throws it into the stew. He doesn't ask what it is. They don't ask what it is. And everybody just starts eating. Human beings tend to collect more of what they're not sure is good or bad, but will collect much of what they know or need. Let me go back to the text. The Bible says he took as many gourds as his garment could carry. Do you understand what that means? They used to wear dresses. Okay, not dresses. I'm, I'm being mean. They wore long, roby looking things. And so what he did is he, he took it and he put as many of them as he could and he went to the pot, cut it up and threw it inside. He doesn't know what it is, but he cuts it up and puts it inside anyway. He doesn't know what it is, but he puts a lot of it. If you don't know what something is, what's the rule? Eat a lot or, or eat a little bit? Eat a lot or eat a little bit? Just a little bit. All right? Just a little bit. But no, that's not how we operate. When we don't know what something is, we want more of it. Pastor, what do you mean? Let me illustrate. If I was to go into your library right now, by the way, does anybody know what a library is? A library is a group of books in your house. Okay, let's forget the house. If I go to your phone and I look at your Amazon or Kindle reader, how many books in there talk about Jesus? How many books talk about crime and romance and, 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 and psychology and all these other subjects that have nothing to do with spirituality? But we don't know, but we just keep buying and buying. Oh, the Da Vinci Code said the bad things about Jesus. Let's buy his other book and see what he talks about. We keep adding and adding and adding and we keep asking, what is this? Or if I go into Apple Music, what am I going to find? Am I going to find glory to God songs or am I going to find glory to someone else? I'm not trying to pick on you, but I'm simply trying to make a point that we tend to collect more of that which we don't need, but that which we need, we don't go the extra effort. How many apps do you subscribe to right now where you're paying for something? Apple Music? Spotify? 
those apps that change the way you look because you're not happy with what God did, so you need to buy an app every month. You use it like once or twice a year, but you, every month you're paying a subscription. And when the church comes and says, hey, subscribe to our free YouTube channel. Nah. Are you teaching beauty tips, Pastor? Not interested. See, we collect a lot of things we don't need. If I go into your Netflix, Netflix, right? Some of you have your notification on right now because you're waiting for the latest show. So let's see, you're paying subscription for Netflix, uh, for Spotify, for Apple Music. What, what else is there? What else? Testify. The, what? I have no idea what that is. What is that? What is Jukes? No, notice the people who explained is people between 25 and zero. The rest of us have no idea what Jukes is. Right? So we're subscribing to so many things. I'll tell you a story, and I'm not telling you because I'm trying to brag. I'm trying to show you that to me, I know what's important to me. I arrived in Indonesia in 2013, and being a student in the Philippines, one of the things that students love is an app called Logos. Okay, so we, we would share the pirated version in the Philippines. Testify the devil is a liar. Who would share that pirated thing? But the moment I started getting a salary, I said to myself, I want the original one. But I can't afford it all at once. And so, by, I don't know if to say by God's grace or by somebody's grace, I got a credit card. That was a bad idea. And then I went onto the website for Loga, spoke to the sales agent, and four years later, paying $99 a month, I paid $3,000 for the Logos app. Do you know when my last payment was? Literally the day before I got married. Because Jesus knew that my wife would have a problem with an app worth $3,000. So I finished paying for it the day before I was married. Why am I telling you that? Because I got money? No, I don't. It took me four years to pay for this app. And right now, I can share it with five people. And when the sermon preparation is going down, I got no problem. Because instead of collecting wild vines, I went for the good grapes. So I'm saying to you right now, instead of spending so much money on stuff you don't need, why don't you buy a Bible app? It's only $5. I am not endorsing anybody's products. Verse number 39. The Bible says, when the man returned, he cut them up into the pot of stew, though no one knew what they were. He didn't know, they didn't know, but everybody was hungry. And when you're hungry, you'll eat anything. Self-inflicted spiritual hunger is dangerous because out of desperation, you will eat whatever comes in front of you. The reason there are so many denominations today, and this is not a, this is the correct denomination sermon, no. The reason there's so many denominations is because people are desperate for God and they will get God any way they can. They will go to any website, any YouTube channel, any Instagram channel, and as long as God's name is in it, they will follow that thing because they're desperate for the truth. My only problem with that is we never ask, is this according to the word of God? We just keep consuming it. Right? Somebody said to me, oh, there's a, there's a Netflix show called Messiah. It must be about Jesus. No, it's not. No, it's not. You don't even need to watch five minutes to know that Jesus is not a part of that thing. 
Oh, there's a show called Lucifer. It's about the devil. Yes, it is, but not according to the Bible. Uh, I spoke about this uh, a couple of years back. There are restaurants uh, that are called, they do duck dining. Duck dining is when you eat and the lights are off. The waiter has infrared goggles to lead you to the table. So you have no idea what you're eating, but you just eat it anyway. For those who can't afford the, the dark dining, they go to places where they put the, the, the mask on your face and you just sample food and try to guess what it is. I must confess I am guilty of doing that because after seven years of being in Indonesia, I am still fascinated by the variety of food you have. So when people give me something, I ask, hmm, what is this? And I ask what I'm chewing. I don't wait for you to tell me it's in my mouth already. Right? And that's what we do. We just stuff things into our brains without asking, what is this? Is this good? Is this right for me? Your life is in the hands that prepare and give you food, spiritual or otherwise. Right now, you're listening to me preaching. And so you've said to yourself, the, the part of your brain that is submissive has said, he's a pastor. So whatever he says must be good. Right? It must be good. So vodka and pork is good. Right? You, you've already put it in your head that whatever he says is the right thing. That's not good. When you listen to somebody teaching or preaching and you don't check it out, what you're doing is duck dining. You are allowing yourself to be fed by someone else. In fact, it's worse than duck dining. You are eating the food I've chewed and spat out and you're eating it for yourself. But please keep coming back to the services. We appreciate your presence. God bless you. Ignorance is never bliss when it comes to spirituality. If you hear a sermon for 30 minutes, you go and research for three hours. Ignorance is not okay. God winks an eye at ignorance, but willful ignorance is a problem. When you say, I don't want to know, you are setting yourself up for trouble. So every time you hear the word of God, Acts chapter 17, the Bible says the people of Berea were different from those in Thessalonica because every time Paul would preach, they would go back and check if the things he said were true. That's why you must read the scriptures, for in them is eternal life. Verse 40, the Bible says the stew was poured out for the men the school of the prophets, but they began to eat. As they began to eat, as they began to eat, the Bible says they cried out to the chef. Who did they cry out to? Who? Are you guys with me? Okay, stay with me. Who do they cry out to? To the chef? No. Elisha is not the one who made the stew. But when they discovered a problem, who did they go to? When the man was picking the wild melon slash cucumber, did he go to the prophet and say, is this good for me? No, he did not. When the people saw the food coming, just steaming and smelling good, did they ask the prophet, is this good for us to eat? No, but when they noticed that there was a problem, that's when they went to the man of God. I know you know where I'm going with this. I know you know that I know that you know where I'm going with this. Why do you wait for things to fall apart before you consult with the people of God? Why do you take a risk of putting wild cucumbers in your mouth before asking, is this good for me or not? 
We present the people of God and God with problems. Lord, here's what I have. Fix it for me. I'll preach that another time. Man of God, there is death in the pot. So stop eating. If there's death in the pot, stop eating. This is what I appreciate about the strange story. They could have said, mm, something strange in this food. But ah, uh, papa, just keep eating. <laughs> Did I use that correctly? Yes, Whew, that was close. They could have kept eating. They could have kept eating for the sake of a momentary pleasure of not feeling hunger. We are so driven by our impulses and our passions and desires that we will feed our desires before we listen to what God says. We will consume and consume and when it starts creating problems, then we cry out, Lord, there's death in the pot. That's why I love these brothers. These are theology students. See, They, they know better than to keep doing it. They stop eating. They stop eating. See, I want to talk about death in the pot in different areas of your life and maybe help you understand through analogy what this means. Remember, the cucumbers were not the main ingredient, but they did cause a problem. Because the moment you mix it into the pot, you can't tell the difference with what's happening. How did they know there was death in the pot? Maybe somebody tasted it and it tasted strange. Or maybe somebody started convulsing and throwing up. And maybe somebody had a stomach pain. I don't know what happened. But the moment they ate it, they discovered a problem. Now, if they had ignored the problem and kept going, they would have died. What does death in the pot look like in relationships? If you discover that your family is meddling in your relationship, if you discover that your partner is gambling and using up money, if you discover that your communication is not good, but you ignore it so that society thinks everything's good, there's death in that part. And if you keep eating it, over time, the relationship will do what? It will die. So I'm saying to you, be careful of the things you think are not important that eat up your relationships. Don't wait until there's lawyers involved for you to seek help. Seek help the moment you notice there are wild cucumbers in this relationship. Wild cucumbers, Adriel, are conversations with people you shouldn't be having conversations with. Those are wild cucumbers. Wild cucumbers are the strange conversations with so-and-so across the ocean on Instagram. It's not harmful. She's not here. There's death in the pot when it comes to your work. If you slack off at work and you think that God is going to bless your laziness, your career is about to die. If you think that gossiping and talking about people and finding favors is going to develop your career, there's death in that part. If you hang around with people who are not encouraging you to be productive and contribute, there's death in the pot. And if you keep eating from that pot, don't expect anything good to come out of it. If you're in business with somebody you know you shouldn't be, somebody who does things the way the world does, there's death in that part. And I'm telling you, if you don't deal with it right now, not only will your business fall apart, your life will fall apart. There's death in the part when it comes to your habits. Somebody said, Pastor, is it bad if it's only what I do but doesn't affect somebody else? I said to them, it doesn't matter whether you're breathing, playing video games, or taking drugs. Whatever you're doing is going to affect somebody. Somebody's going to be a victim of that habit. It may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, but something is going to die because habits create chaos. And chaos 
kills spirituality. Amen, nobody. <laughs> Death in the pot when it comes to your spiritual life. I will go to church every Saturday. I will go to church every Sunday. I will listen to the preacher. And after that, I will do absolutely nothing. Because the sermon is enough. And if the sermon is not enough, if I'm stuck in traffic, I will listen to the most watered-down podcast so that I can hear about Jesus but not be told what to do. And so you keep doing that and you keep doing that. And then you notice you no longer like being in church. And you tell yourself, maybe it's this church. Let me, let me try another church. The, the Spirit of God has left this church. Let me go to another one. And you go to that church and you're not feeling it. And so you keep jumping around. And then you're like, ha, ah, I know what to do. Let me live stream because now I don't have to leave home. In my pajamas, I can listen to the message. And as you're listening to the message, something pops up on Facebook because JCC, we, we live stream on Facebook. And so while you're live streaming on Facebook, the funeral of Kobe comes on or some report about the uh, coronavirus or some other funny African video. Pastor Henry, I've noticed something interesting about Indonesia. They love African comedy. They keep sending me African comedy. Like I'm from those countries. There's death in that part. So you, you keep moving away from God, but you don't realize it. You keep blaming people. It's the elder of that church. It's the pastor of that church. It's the children's program. It's this, it's this. And before you know it, your spirituality is dead. Let me show you something. Let me show you something. There's two extremes when it comes to death in the part in the church, just in case somebody doesn't understand what I'm saying. The first type of death in the part in any church is a watered-down stew religion. You know the type that doesn't focus on what the Bible says? The kind that when the speaker opens his mouth, people feel good, people feel comfortable, people feel welcome. If you want to feel good and feel welcome, watch daytime television. Don't attend a sermon. But when the speaker is done preaching and you leave the place feeling motivated and excited, the preacher has not done his job. Yes, in 2020, I said it. Any message that doesn't challenge you is not a good message. When the Bible is not used, when the truth is not preached, when somebody says, oh, focus on Jesus, focus on Jesus. Do you understand what that means when you say focus on Jesus? When you focus on Jesus, you focus on what he did and what he said. And a lot of the things that Jesus said were uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. People are like, oh, Jesus is more loving than the Old Testament. Do you understand that the Old Testament says if you sleep with another man's wife, you are supposed to get killed? Jesus said, oh, you don't have to sleep with her. You just have to think about it. Which is worse? Shh. No, amen. Don't say amen. Let's talk about the over-concentrated, thick-stew religion. I'm from Africa. Duh. We love savory food. Okay, we love stew. Uh, onion and tomato, right? Onion, tomato, herbs, green pepper, that's a stew. If it's too watery, not good. You won't eat and he won't marry you. If it's too thick, it's still not good. It just has to be what? Just right. Some religion is so thick, it's hard to consume it. It has rules that God didn't even come up with. 
Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Ha, ah, good. If you're keeping the Sabbath, you can't go to the toll because you need to swipe the card. You can't park your car in the mall because you need to pay for the parking. Right? So you got to walk all the way from BSD, from Bakasi to come to church. Oh, wait. If you do that, you're sweating, you're working. And by the time you're done, pastor, I can't do the Sabbath no more. That's the thick religion I'm talking about. Kids are not allowed to run around because they're breaking the Sabbath. Lord have mercy. So, there's a watered down version. You can do what you want. Enjoy your life. God will forgive you. And then on this side, is you're a bad person, there's nothing good you can do no matter how you try hard. Elisha said, now for me, uh, the rest of the story is not that strange. For me, the solution is what is strange. Because the last time I checked, if there's food, if there's poison in food, you don't just add flour, you throw it away. Ladies, am I correct? Right? At potluck, if the beans are not smelling too good, you don't say, run to chem chicks and get some flour, put some inside, and the beans will be okay. But apparently, Chef Elisha has a degree in culinary experience that he knows that wild cucumbers can be cured with flour. No, please don't leave this place thinking that flour fixes everything. It may fix your stew and your bad cooking, but don't do that with poison. Okay? What's happening here is a simple lesson coming from God. This is not a, a scientific fact. Okay? Figs. Put on a boil, do not prevent somebody from dying. Elisha says, bring some flour. Then he threw it into the pot and said, now it's all right. Go ahead and eat. And then it did not harm them. That's the end of the story. How am I supposed to end my sermon with that? That's, that's it. That's how the text ends. So here's what I got. And this is just me cooking in, 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 the, in the theology kitchen that I have at home. Flour is used to make what in the Bible? Roti, bread, right? It's used to make bread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. So what I realized in the story, even though the prophet doesn't explain the chemical reaction of the flour in the gourd, what we do know is that the solution had to come from outside. If they threw the stew away, these men would have died of hunger. But that would also have killed the illustration. And so instead of throwing it away, the prophet says, bring the flour, which means he had flour. Why did they need to make soup if there was flour? I'm sorry, I'm just thinking about this stuff as I'm speaking. Something had to come from outside to fix the problem inside. So whether it's your relationship, your job, your habits, your spirituality, whatever it is, the solution sometimes has to come from where? Outside. Something from outside needs to come in and neutralize the problem. And while I don't know why he chose flour, what I do know is when Jesus is a part of it, he becomes the solution. The flour that sucks the poison out of any relationship that is dying. If your relationship is in trouble right now, stop telling yourself, oh, this church thing is not helping. You are right. Church won't save your relationship. Jesus will. Church won't save your health. Jesus will. Church is where we get together and share war stories, but Jesus is who we're with every day. So that's what I get from the strange story. That instead of you just coming to church, just eating whatever stew the pastor keeps throwing at you, 
why don't you add some flour into it and make it good? Don't just ask, what would Jesus do? See, that's another problem I have with people. Thank God they don't make those things that much these days. You know those, what would Jesus do bands? I tried wearing it in school. It did not help me. It just made me upset. I tried wearing it while driving. It did not help. What would Jesus do? Pat the road and kill everybody. No, that's not what Jesus would do. Don't just ask, what would Jesus do? Find out what Jesus said. How do you know there's death in the pot? Put Jesus as the litmus test. If you're about to get into a relationship, if you want to know if there's death in that relationship, put Jesus in the test. Right? If he invites you to West Inn Hotel, that's awesome. But then you say, hey, dude, let's go to church together. And if he doesn't go to church with you, there's death in that pot. Amen. <laughs> uh, people don't like you when I talk about relationships. That's cool. Don't just ask, what would Jesus do? Because guess what? We were not there when he was here. What we do have is the word of God. If you want to remove death from your part, please add the herb called Jesus Christ. Amen. Whew, that was strange. I want somebody here to respond to a question that I'm about to ask. Do you know that there's death in your relationships right now? Do you know that there's death in your habits? There are apps on your phone that are creating problems for you. There's contacts that are creating problems for you in your phone. In fact, the cell phone is the part right now because it has all the death we need. It gives us access to places we shouldn't go. Is there death in your job? Is there something that you know that people are doing at the office that's not right, but you keep turning a blind eye? There's death in that. In God's house, there are issues that need to be resolved. There's death right there. Pastor, there's death in my home, there's death in my work, there's death in my character, there's death in my habits, there's death in my relationships. I see death and I need God to add some flower to it. That's you. Stand to your feet. Nobody knows what it is but you. In fact, some people might know, but because this is Indonesia, we pretend like we don't know and we watch you struggle and fight and we watch you struggle and, and, and complain. We watch you struggle and we don't help you because your problem is your problem. But the prophet said, there's death in the pot. We are all affected. Somebody could have said, this is not my problem, but they all accepted it was their problem. Elisha could have said, I've got flour. I can make myself bread, but he helped them. Death in the pot is anything that robs you of a relationship with God. <laughs>